Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Friday, January 27th, and on today's episode, we are stepping onto the hardwood, we are taking out our crystal balls, and we are talking NBA futures. To do that, joining me is the head honcho of Sports Ethos, perhaps the biggest guest we've had on the pod, no pressure, a consistent capper himself, the premier ranker of all things fantasy basketball, the big dog himself, Aaron Brewski. Brew, welcome to The Advantage. Thanks for coming on, and how are you doing today? You know, I'm, I'm great, thank you, and, and my ego is very pumped up now, um, so thank you for that. But I've actually been super excited to do this show, because, you know, I just watch from afar, right? Like, I, I, I always have respect for cappers in general, let's just get that out there, because I really do think that when it comes to, like, you know, depending on how you look at this stuff, if you're just trying to crack a beer and enjoy a game, this stuff might not be important to you. But like in terms of like this sort of competition of who's going to get it right, you know, that's at the core of fantasy basketball. That's what attracted me to fantasy sports in general. Capping sort of was a level up when I started doing it um, and, and realizing how hard it is. And then I as I got more involved with the world of handicapping, I just realized that like everybody in the world of handicapping knows 10 times more than anybody else anywhere and it's not even close. <laughs> and so if you if you like sports, if you like the conversation about what's going to happen next and you like to compete on that level, capping is where it's at. So as I saw your career start to to blossom, I I had this respect cuz I was like, man, that guy and I I'm sorry, I mean I'm going to kind of age you here. I was like, that kid has got it. And that is so hard to find. You would think it would be easier to find because it's a big planet with a lot of people on it. But I don't see it much in NBA media. I don't see it much, you know, in sort of the discussion in almost any any city about any team. You know, it's it's very not at that level. And so when you see people who are at that level, you kind of just like go, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, get, 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 keep getting your money, keep, keep winning, keep understanding the game behind the game. And so I'm really pleased to just chop it up with you here. Thank you. That definitely means a lot to me. I've been capping myself for 10 years now. Um, I've gotten so deep into just sticking with the what the line movement says, what the gambling trends and indicators in the market tells me, that at this point when my friend asks me, like, hey, you think the Celtics or, or Knicks are going to win tonight, for a given random example, I'll be like, well, the line moved from eight to nine, so I'm thinking the Celtics cover because that's what the – and then they, they stop me. They're like, Mike, but what do you think? Like, what do you, And I'm like, that is what I think. I've got, that's, that's all I think at this point. I am just so beholden to gambling trends, line movement indicators, and things like that. And I've always said, watching sports is not predictive of sports. Watching the gambling market it becomes predictive of what's going to happen. I could watch a million games in the past, or I could watch none of them and know what happened in the line movement. I could better predict what's going to happen as long as I watch the line movement instead of watching all of the games. So there are ways to read this market and kind of say this is where the sharks are swimming and let me swim in their waters. That's kind of the way I approach this. That was like my first lesson in the world of capping as we started at ethos. So obviously your listeners know Dan Vesper is one of the best cappers I've ever met. Um, so we got started in this industry and I tried to take a basketball centric approach to capping and I got my ass handed to me in the yep. first like half of the season. And I, I mean, that was really rough because I was sort of the lead. Um, Dan was with me on this and we had a couple other cappers, um, uh, one was super talented named Troy, um, but that's another story another time. I felt like I was the lead guy because this was our first foray into it. And, you know, you get a little bit of this invincibility feeling um, when you're constantly, I don't, I don't know, outworking people is kind of my theory on how I've been able to do it for years in fantasy. Um, you know, I think there's some talent involved, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was like outworking people. So you're like, oh, I can just outwork people. And I can know more basketball and I can get these picks right. Mm-hmm. And I just started getting my ass handed to me. Yep. Outworking and- people in this space is, you know, signing up for one of those services where you can see all the line movements happening, knowing exactly when first line changes and where the totals are going and what the key numbers relative are. It is so not about who's playing in this game, what two teams are there, what opponents are there and all that stuff. No, I but- think it shifts in the playoffs a little bit. 
Oh, definitely. The playoffs is a different different sport. But, but I, it's I still just, basketball, but it's like the difference between college and NBA. It's like NBA versus playoffs. It's it's a different it's a different level of game. The funny thing was Dan wasn't helping me at first. Dan <laughs> Dan didn't tell me any of his tricks, and I'd be like, "Hey, Dan, I'm getting crushed here. Like, I need some help. What are what is what's you know, give me some you know I'd like let's do a training montage. Let's get me up to speed." And he would slowly kind of give me tips of like how to view the games and. Once that happened, the whole world opened up. Like I then stopped losing, and I don't think I've lost since capping in in a segment of a season or a postseason or anything like that, which I I kind of find like unreal. Like I've always thought the house always wins, <laughs> nope. Until this world of capping opened up, and yep. now I'm like, no, that's actually it's the opposite. If you know a couple things and you follow the right people and you learn some stuff you know, follow somebody like this gentleman right here, you're going to be able to stay ahead of the curve. Um, so that's that's fun because it's it's fun to watch with something on the line and also not lose everything at the same exactly. time. Exactly. When I jumped on Dan's pod, uh, I think in like my first month or two at Sports Ethos, what I said to him and what I say to pretty much everyone is I don't ask myself, am I going to beat the books? It's how much am I going to beat the books by? So I've been doing this, this is my 11th season. I haven't had one losing season in my life. So there is a, a rhyme and reason behind the things I do. I appreciate you taking the time to say you recognize some of that. And to those who are just starting and are listening to me and Brew talk, um, t- you know, sit back, take notes, watch what we're doing, track of all of our bets, follow them if you can get the exact same line. If you can't get the exact same line, then just skip it and wait for the next one. And then slowly over the course of time, this is what I did. I was a freshman in college and went to the library tracking professional cappers, studying what they were doing and trying to make sense of it. So over the course of time, you'll see things that make sense. But today, Brew, we're talking NBA futures. And I realized now's the best time to talk futures because football season's wrapping up. All-Star game right around the corner. The starters were just announced. And we're reaching the point where a lot of eyes are going to start keying in on the NBA and narratives are about to form. So these awards, as both of us are longtime NBA fans, these awards are very much narrative-based awards. So before these narratives really start to form, and as we have a 50% data set of the season to work off of, we can kind of get ahead of the market and pick out a few great spots. So that's kind of the impetus for having you on the pod and talking about this conversation. And... I just wanted to say before we jump in there, I've said this on the pod numerous times, any times we're talking about futures, so I just want to throw it out there for the listeners. If you are betting futures, these are generally more of a square than a sharp market. There's not a whole lot of expert gamblers attacking the future space like for such things like player awards. And these funds that you do bet are going to be pending wagers for the next few months. I don't think the NBA hands out these awards until like June. So we are going to have these be pending for quite a few months. So make sure you're knowing, knowingly going into this saying, I'm not going to see this money back for quite some time. And generally, these are not the best markets to attack. They're more fun. I'm watching. I'm a big fan. So I want to get behind this kind of thing. Or I, I'm, I'm seeing the market slightly differently. But it's not a market you want to have too much exposure in. Does that make sense? I mean, you can't put your money all into it. You would be without funds to gamble with. So exactly. you got to you gotta pick your spots. Um, I love that market, though. Just, I mean, because, again, it's for me, this isn't my singular profession. If it was, I'd be completely different. I like the idea that it is a square market, and yep. I like counting up the funds at the end of the year. <laughs> it does present opportunities for people like myself and yourself, who are consistent winners in this space, to then say, okay, if we know that a bunch of squares are in these markets – can we kind of take a sharp approach to this space? Um, sure. And then going through that, I'm going when I give out these odds, all of these odds that I give out are going to be the lines currently posted at FanDuel. Obviously, line shopping is very important. You want to have accounts at FanDuel, DraftKings, Caesars, PointsBets, WinBet, BetMGM, all the above. And you want to be able to take, you know, Luca's MVP at better odds at DraftKings over FanDuel. The reason why I'm going to use FanDuel today, Brew, and the reason I think this is a good point for our listeners, is I've noticed, as someone who's been tracking these markets for so long, I've noticed that FanDuel takes a different approach than any other book to the futures market. They price it more favorable to the better because, again, these are generally square markets, 
and they want to take in your money so that, say, uh, you know, a random NBA fan who bets 15 bucks, 20 bucks a night and a few times a week is a very casual better. If they have a six months bet ahead on FanDuel, then they're likely to go back to FanDuel for all of their other bets. So FanDuel has used the futures market as a leverage play to get people drawn to their site. So for that reason, me and you can find better odds at FanDuel. Generally, those have the best odds in the futures market. So for this conversation, I will only be based on the FanDuel line. So I think that's just an important point that this sports book is not operating like a normal sports book. They're operating like a marketing company in the futures market saying, hey, please come join us. And then we're going to get you in every other category. And good Um, for us. Yeah, good for us. Brew, the first thing I noticed when I was going through these futures odds and where everything was at, I looked at the divisional odds. So before we get into the awards, the main reason why I reached out to you, not only because you're great at this and I wanted to have you on the pod, because you're our resident Kings fan. And I noticed that the Kings were three games up on their division. I think they're up on the Suns and the Clippers, the Warriors, Lakers, further behind, like six games back. Kings have a nice three-game lead. They are more than halfway through their season, and yet they are a plus 170 to win their division. So as the current leader in their division, as someone who pays close attention to the Kings, tweets about the Kings games all the time, how are you reading the Pacific division in the West? Look, look, look. There's a couple teams that are going to be hungry and chasing, and it's the Clippers and the Suns and the Warriors, and, I mean, maybe toss the Lakers in there if you want a good laugh. But, like, the Kings definitely have something going for them on the schedule side. I just went through the schedule, sort of hand went through the schedule, game by game, and asked myself, what's that game going to look like when we get to that game? Just because I was kind of curious, like 27 and 20. I mean, people are just so high here in Sacramento on this squad and and they're talking serious trash. And if you're, if you're analyzing this team, trying to figure out what they're doing at the deadline and, and what's the internal, you know, and, and I don't traffic in that as much as I used to. I used to be dialed up all the way into the top of the organization. And now I just kind of let it sit and I don't really make phone calls in to try to figure out what they're thinking over there. But the sense amongst people that I know who do do that is that they feel pretty content with where they're at right now. Um, so I was just curious, you know, like, are they going to, do they look at this and say, we're going to make the playoffs no matter what, let's not make a lot of moves at the deadline. You know, let's kind of just cash in everything we've done to date. And I looked at that schedule and I thought, man, these guys, they have like practically no chance of not being a top six seed unless something completely out of the ordinary happens, like an injury to one of their top two players. Um, They are very good and they are very deep and they're very motivated to continue winning on it. It's like a lot of teams play half of the games hard in the NBA. These guys are playing like every game hard in the NBA and that's reflected in their record and these these opponents coming up about half of the remaining opponents the kings should be say like if the if the market was accurate let's there's a little bit of a sacramento kings bias in the market that works against them or for them depending on your viewpoint they um should be like say 4.5 points 6.7 point favorites at home um against a lot of these teams and maybe even favorites on the road against a lot of these teams so uh, they should win these games. And then the other half are also winnable games, but the matchups are more even. There's a, a, a few upper echelon teams in there. You know, the true top, top teams, you know, let's like throw a Boston Celtics out there who can do a really good job against the Iron Fox. I think those will come back as losses. But I think the takeaway is they should run at about at least a 55% clip going forward. Um, what would that look like? You know, you got the Clippers two games behind them four games behind them in the loss columns, both teams with 27 wins. I think the Clippers treated this season as it started at right about now. And so you're going to see Kawhi play pretty much the rest of the games, the the rest of the way, Paul George play the rest of the games, the rest of the way. And so that's, I mean, two games back, that's not a lot. I think that's where that plus 170 is being driven from. Uh, The Suns, they are going to get healthy now. And um, I would expect them to make a run. And of course, Golden State. So, I mean, it's, it's when you look at those three teams, it seems daunting that the Kings can stay on top, but I will add this, that record or probably that schedule and the strength and the quality of this Kings team, the depth of this Kings team, 
you're getting great odds on on this particular um, bet. You you probably need a little bit of help though to pull it off. You probably need Paul George and Kawhi to play 75% of their games going forward. Uh, Phoenix, you probably need something to continue to ail them in the form of like a Chris Paul injury or a DeAndre Ayton isn't happy. You know, something in that ballpark of where they're not just hitting on all cylinders. Because I think if they're hitting on all cylinders, one of the three teams can catch them. Um, Golden State's got some serious problems, but again, they're the returning champs. So I like the odds, and I think they need a little bit of help to actually cash in on the bet. Listening to you speak, Bert, would you say the Clippers are your biggest concern besides the Kings, if it was going to be any other team? I mean, right now, they are the fifth-place team. Kings are in third, and then we have the Suns and Warriors in seventh and eighth, Lakers in a distant 13. I know the standings right now say the Clippers. Do you feel confirmed that Clippers would be your biggest threat to Kings in terms of the division? Because Clippers are plus 440, and Warriors plus 240, Suns plus 360. So these teams sitting at seven and eight, are actually priced above the Clippers, another line that makes no sense. I'm thinking, do we start to build a portfolio in this Pacific division and play both a little Kings and a little Clippers and essentially just say we're going to fade you know, the Suns, who seem to not like each other in the locker room, and the Warriors, hmm. who have a lot of their own internal issues with player development not coming to fruition like everyone expected and kind of having – getting everyone's best game against them. You know, everyone steps up to try and play the Warriors best. So they get some tough games. Uh, and the, again, Kings plus 170, Clippers plus 440. You could take both and guarantee a profit if one of those wins the division. It, it's beautiful. So this is, you're reading me perfectly is exactly how I would approach this. I, um, I, I do this for the postseason all the time in a betting journal and, you know, just trying to get the right price and get as much money on that right price for whatever outcome. And then you got flexibility later down the road so you can hedge, hedge or even lean in. I just love this, this, this facet of wagering. Um, and the, so I would rank them after the Kings, um, if we're just going to call the Kings, you know, hold them off to the side, and, and which of the three teams do I like to chase and get them? I got the Clippers at one, and then I would go Golden State two and Phoenix three for the reasons that you said. I think Phoenix really has something internally going on, some sort of schism. Um, and Jay Crowder, I don't think he's coming back to that team. And Definitely not. He's, I mean, I, I really do think that he's going through some personal stuff. I don't know what it is. I don't have anything sourced here. I think that there's, you know, something going on there. And then that, that there's probably a split in that locker room somewhere along the lines of DeAndre Ayton being way on the outside and not really kind of knowing what he's doing or kind of able to get into the middle of this thing and, and really be a driving force that he could be because he's always underperforming and it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of traction there for his game. So that's weird. Devin Booker, he's always seemed like a straight shooter. I, I, I've never really looked at Devin Booker, what he's doing, and been like, man, what's that guy doing? Um, but there is this little weird thing. It's a very narrative-driven thing, but he's dating a Kardashian, and, and that's never <laughs> gone well for an NBA player. I are mean, they still together? I don't know. I don't know. I think they are, but I don't know. I need to probably add Us Weekly to my, my reading regimen over here. Um, Listen, but, I, I, I do believe in the curse, but if a Kardashian would date me, I would sign up myself too. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame him at all. <laughs> but at the same time, I would recommend like maybe some life insurance or something. I don't know. Like he is like that. It's it's so crazy how much they've been perfect at damaging NBA players. Um, but, you know, all that aside, I, I think that they will struggle to win at a high clip. Um, they'll be dangerous in the playoffs. And who knows, maybe they'll pull it all together to get a trade that can kind of reignite some of the what looked really promising about you know a year ago this time um but then i would go the warriors because i think the warriors know that they need to get some momentum going i don't know what they're going to do with the deadline that's super fascinating um what they have right now is not incredibly compelling in the regular season um side of things obviously in the playoffs they're going to be totally you know maybe perhaps the favorite in the west um but i don't like them to burn you know, a bunch of energy in the regular season to try to catch the leader, whoever it might be. So, yeah, Kings, Clippers, I love it. Just build Small up that portfolio. portfolio right I there. do think 
you make a good point with trade deadline approaching. I think Kings are potentially in the trade market. I think Suns are potentially in the trade market. We know the Clippers always do something around that deadline. And the Warriors, with their young players and their tax implications around potentially re-signing Wiseman next season and their unlikelihood to do that, there's a very potential chance that the Warriors are in the trade market. So for these reasons, we might see something big swing in this division in the next few weeks, which is why we say dabble in these markets, but don't go too heavily into them. You know, you're putting a toe in the water. You're not jumping in full cannonball. One other question for you on the Kings, Brew, and this is kind of a escalator play. If you did like the Kings, if the Kings did stick at third in the West and they end up winning this division and being the three seed, light the beam, everybody, hmm. light the beam, um, is Mike Brown coach of the year? Because he's plus 850 right now. So yeah, if might. we like the Kings and we say they might hold this spot, do we split up our Kings bet to say a little bit of Kings exposure and play the escalator of getting plus 850 on Mike Brown to win coach of the year? You know, I don't have those odds in front of me. Um, I'm going to try to pull them up as I'm talking here to see who is he in competition with. You want me to like, give them out to you? They're give, Joe Mazzulla. Yeah. Joe Mazzulla yeah. of the Celtics, 2-1. to one. Willie Green of the, Pel- of the Pelicans, 3-1. to one. Taylor Jenkins, Maybe. Grizzlies. Jacques Vaughn, Nets. And Will Hardy, Jazz. J.B. Bickerstaff, Grizzlies. Oh, no. See, I, 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 I need to get in there and make this bet because it feels to me, and, and even talking sort of like power brokers within the NBA are already kind of decided on Mike Brown as head coach of the year. There's such a narrative about the Kings. The Kings have been a laughing stock for longer than I've covered them. You know, it's to turn them around, um, you know, for all the reasons, we don't have to get into the reasons, but he has been at the, the center of all of it. He's asking DeAndre, or probably um, Darren Fox and uh, Sabonis and everybody down roster to play defense, and he will call them out with a timeout. I mean, and, and the fact that he's doing that is it's just such a narrative coaching move, and I think people have seen stuff like that go well for him and the turnaround in the record. And I mean, and I think people like Mike Brown as well. So I don't, I don't, I couldn't see any of those other guys winning over him right now. To me, it's like Mike Brown or pick your choice of one of the top seeds. Like either Michael Malone, who even has longer odds than Mike Brown or Joe Missoula in the West. But again, we know these narratives of, Coach of, the war- coach of the Year, very narrative-based award. So we like young coaches who make a quick impact. Mike Brown, first year as the Kings coach, what are they, 17 straight seasons not making the playoffs, Brew? Like this would be breaking that streak. And not only breaking that streak, but potentially ending up as the three seed in the West. Like sign me up to have a little bit of Mike Brown exposure at plus 850. Oh. I'm definitely going to throw that in the – Sports ethos wager pass. I would put that as like as if they go six and above, he is a lock. Yeah, I mean, you're like I'll just give you some names, like you know people like Sam Amick of the Athletic. You know, he's here in Sacramento. I was about to say he's a he's a big Kings insider. He's a big Kings insider, and he's a big stick in the in the NBA journalism world. And you got to keep in mind that these guys vote so in groupthink on all of this stuff it, it it's that's why these awards are almost always wrong in so many different ways is there's a media agenda of all involved and they take their cues off of leadership within the media and leadership within thought leadership amongst kind of the, the nba twitter set but mostly the media and i've seen him and other big time names that are going to drive other people to vote the same way all on this all on this mike brown for coach of the year boat so i'd say if they get a top six seed it's a lock that he wins and even if they get a seven or eight i think it's a pretty strong chance he wins i'll be making this bet myself i'll put it that way all right love it we're definitely on a team play there let's take what you said about these kind of media narratives and leaders in the media space being the awards drivers um there was a recent poll that came out which showed the media's voting on early awards and let's talk about the sixth man of the year race right now russell westbrook is the favorite minus 110 that correlates with an implied probability of 52.4% that Russell Westbrook wins the sixth man of the year award. Now, on this media poll, he was not voted once for this award. So there is a clear discrepancy between the odds that we're getting on FanDuel and the people who actually vote on this award. Brogdon was the clear favorite, and for me, sitting at plus 240, I think Brogdon is one of the best bets in the awards market right now. 
Do you see any chance that Westbrook can actually win six man of the year? Why is he the favorite? Who is your favorite choice? Do you like Brogdon or is there anyone else in the market that you also think we should sprinkle on? Oh, man. I mean, I think Brogdon's kind of got that narrative built in. It's going to be the you know top seed in the East, probably. Um, I don't think Russ is going to get the award. I mean, and, and that's just weird. I, I, I mean, maybe at the end of the day, the, the books feel like Westbrook's such a big, buzzy name and L.A. is such a big, buzzy market and that they're going to start winning eventually. And then he'll have like whatever his averages are right now. I don't have him in front of me, but it's probably like 17, six and five or something, you know, and, and, and then that's going to stack up and people will buy that. I don't know. That's it's to me, that's wild because I mean, there's been more, Oh my God, what did Russell Westbrook just do comments among the media? Like of the bad kind, like, can you believe he just did that bad play? I don't think anybody thinks he's good anymore. I think they also... He's trending on Twitter like every three nights throwing the ball out of bounds or clanking something off the backboard. Like, how are we handing out him one of the awards? Every advanced statistic says Russ is catastrophic to having out there on on your floor. So, And on top of that, like, I think people feel a little bamboozled by Russ because there was all the MVP stuff and all the triple doubles and everybody bought it hook, line, and sinker because that's what the NBA media does. Yep. It's it's like okay you you I voted for you and now look at you you're like kind of not you're, I don't want to say laughing stock but that was kind of where I was going with it so there's like that buyer's remorse and I think people are gonna as evidenced by the poll that's that's just not gonna be something that they do um, you know sort of quickly scanning for six man candidates it seems like we're just light this year yes in that for sure regard. historically Brew, Poole, historically we have the sixth man of the year is someone who scores more than 18 points a game and comes from a winning team. So we just simply don't have that this year. Westbrook lead candidate with 16 points a game, but his team's what 10th in the, in the West and three games under 500 Brogdon and Norm Powell are the two and three in the, in the, in the odds. Norm Powell is the second leading score, but I honestly just think this comes down to, Who's the best player on the best team that fits in and takes over that six-man role? Like who integrate, who seamlessly integrates when they're asked? Who can perform multiple roles? Because we don't have that Jordan Clarkson, that Jamal Crawford, that Lou Williams type scorer on one of these good teams, it becomes who's your glue guy of your six-man on a great team. And for me, it's so obviously Brogdon. Like I just think this is very oddly priced with him at plus two forty. Well, it's it is Brogdon, but I want to throw a sleeper in there, and I'm curious if you even have have odds for him. But Tyrese Maxey, yeah, like, so he's actually tied with Powell. Plus, he's ten to one. I think that's a great to one, one too. I, Sixers are coming he, on really strong, and he's really accepted this six man role with Melton taking the starting role. And yeah, so and and it the only problem is is it's going to be kind of a late start, and everybody I bet has already locked their brain in on Malcolm Brogdon. So it's going to be Maxi if he can go just nuclear and it becomes a big storyline. Maybe Brogdon misses some time with some injuries. That's a big thing for him. Right. Um, maybe Maxi. I would probably just build the portfolio with the two of them. Yep. That was exactly where my next question was going. Do we just build a portfolio, take a little bit of Brogdon, take a little bit of Maxi? I got on Norm Powell 40 to 1 preseason. I said it on a podcast, mm. gave it out on the Sports Ethos Wager Pass and Discord. So now that's sitting at 10 to 1. I hope. People were able to follow along. I will not need to hedge any of my portfolio onto Norm Powell, but including some Maxi, because the Sixers are starting to ramp up. Maxi's starting to get back to health and full speed. You know, they've won like what five in a row or six in a row on their recent uh, West Coast trip. They just beat the Nets. Um, if this team starts rolling, if they could potentially take over the Celtics as the number one seed, then I think we are looking at Maxi. So I think jumping in that Maxi market now before. He becomes, you know, a three to one candidate while we still have it at 10 to one worth sprinkling a little bit of juice on for sure. Brew, let's move over to the rookie of the year discussion. Now, it seems like we only have one candidate this year, right? Uh, Paolo is a minus 850 in the odds that correlates to an 89% implied probability. My question that I asked for you was if Paolo gets injured today, does he still win the award? No, because I think Keegan Murray is going to – there's a key thing that you're going to see with Keegan Murray is that he's going to break 
the, I believe it's the Sacramento, or it might even be the overall rookie record for three-pointers made. So that might create a little noise. And he's really good. Like, And he doesn't get any shine because of everything that's going on with Sabonis and Fox. Um, Sacramento's been really healthy, too, by the way. They're due an injury, a big injury. Like, the teams just don't survive like that throughout the NBA. So anything that would help him get shoved out into the spotlight a little bit more um, would help him. I don't think, I mean, if we're talking about betting on an injury occurring or Keegan hitting this record and making some noise, I mean, he will get a boost because he'll be in the playoffs and and, and Paolo won't be. Um, but I think there would lie a potential opportunity for somebody. If he hits that record, I mean, they're going to crow about it, and then it'll be a part of the Kings chorus because everybody right now, it's so easy to get on the Kings bandwagon. Everybody loves the idea that these plucky underdogs finally get to the playoffs, and, you know, it's just all good fun. The beam is good fun. I think there's more national attention on the Kings than I've ever seen um, in my time covering them. But uh, it's, you know, I think everybody's locked in on Paolo. Like, an odd Do you think that. there's a chance that Harrison Barnes gets traded from the Kings? Because that would open a spot for Keegan to then play 33, 34 minutes a night. I, I know Barnes has been whispered around the trade market. I don't really think the Kings are interested in trading for Barnes. More NBA media wanting the Kings to make a move and putting Barnes in there because the salary works. Um, what's your thoughts as a Kings insider? Does Harrison Barnes stick around? Because if Harrison Barnes sticks around, I think uh, Keegan Murray's going to have a tough time climbing up that ladder. Well, this is the thing. That's kind of when I was we were talking about the Kings earlier, and I was trying to just sort of figure out what's going on in the universe of the Kings. Are they happy with where they're at? And I think the answer is yes. Like mm-hmm. they, it, you just got an extension if you're Monty McNair. You're, you're, you're now safe, right? And it's like you can't mess this up. You, you, you've, you, you're going to make the playoffs no matter what. So it's there's less pressure for him to make a win now move. And Harrison Barnes is kind of irreplaceable for this particular ball club. I, I mean, we could talk about Harrison Barnes all day, and we won't. But, like, they don't have somebody with his kind of strength at the 3-4 that can be versatile enough to cover out on the perimeter. And then just, I mean, lately he's been nuclear from three. But that's what he provides in general for this team, as well as a nice little dribble drive game that pairs well with Sabonis. I don't think they're going to find too many improvements. Now, it doesn't solve their fatal flaw with the rim protection. But um, I think the pressure to trade Harrison Barnes, while it was early season, it was like he's gone. Like, everybody just, boom, he's gone. Now, because he's, he's the, guy, the only guy that other teams would want. Now, maybe that shifts over to um, Rashawn Holmes a little bit. But as a somewhat rim protector now, he's not really that anymore. He might actually be viewed as more valuable to keep if they don't want to go out to spend to get this unicorn that they can't really find, which is the three-point shooting rim protecting player that can pair with DeMontis Sabonis. I kind of just think they're happy to take their their playoff experience and and call it a season. So that would then, you know, obviously impact Keegan negatively in terms of possibly just, you know, reaching up and winning this award. So Keegan 120 to 1, insane oh. long shot. Paolo's Man. only a minus 850 and what I was saying about the FanDuel market being just super friendly in the futures market. I just want to point this out because this is completely abnormal for any sports book to do this. Uh, Paolo Bancaro minus 850. Benedict Matherin, second lead candidate, plus 850. So it, we are seeing where you can take the top two candidates and guarantee yourself at least a break-even price if one of them wins. We're seeing this in, you know, most improved, which we'll talk about in a second. Lori Marketing minus 125. SGA, plus 125. So they're really allowing you to be able to build a portfolio in these spaces, which I don't think most casual square bettors are thinking, let me build a portfolio. They take their one shot and hope it hits. But as people who have kind of a keen eye to this, we can take multiple players. You could take Paolo. You could take Walker Kessler. You could take Keegan Murray. You could take Jaden Ivey. You could take literally all four of them and split up your unit distribution so that you win no matter what if one of them wins. So there is clear opportunity in this market right now on FanDuel. I would sprinkle Paolo at the minus 850. You can then put a little bit on Keegan, 120 to 1, and pick your choice of any of the other ones besides Benedict Matherin. And I actually think Benedict Matherin, I don't see him winning Rookie of the Year. I do see him potentially creeping into that Sixth Man of the Year conversation. But I almost think we're going to give him all-rookie first team, 
and we're going to have his name runner-up in a few of the awards, like on the top five ballot, which will be enough credit where credit's due. So I don't see Benedict Matherin winning any awards this season. I do think Halliburton starts to come back. I think Pacers are continuing to slide down the standing. So I don't really like that spot, but I think these lines definitely provide a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I was just looking at the, the odds on Bavada, Mike Brown plus 225, speaking to the fan duel advantage. Jesus. Um, that's crazy. Um, it's, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity in everything you just said right there. And uh, that's why these markets are so great. I mean, yeah, they tie up your money. You got to be responsible and, and smart about it, but there's just a lot of opportunity here. See, but Bovada's treating this like a real betting market, right? Where they're saying, if you could bet, on, we don't want you to build a portfolio where you're guaranteed profitable on, on four or five candidates. Hey, take your pick. Generally, n- none of these are providing that great of a return. FanDuel is going the other way. They're saying, hey, we'll give you great return on, you know, Nick Claxton to be defensive player of the year. So take him and Jaron and you'll win money. And then, hey, stick with us and bet with us for the next few months anyways. So let's smart. move over. It's smart business. It is. It really is smart business. And it's just for people like us who can be aware of that, it makes it a nice betting opportunity also. So they're trying to attract new gamblers. But as someone who's been doing this for 10 years, there's no restrictions on us in that market either. So we could jump in with those with those newbies as well. Let's talk about defensive player of the year, Brew. I gave out Jaron Jackson Jr. 10 to 1 in the odds on Twitter, on the Sports Ethos Wager Pass, in the Discord channel. It is now down to JJJ minus 200. So he is an implied 66% favorite on this award. He, what scares me is he doesn't play that many minutes. Historically, obviously the foul trouble story. We can't you know, not include that when we talk about Triple J. And here's the other caveat. Every time the Grizzlies have played on national TV, he's been terrible. So he's been absolutely dominant whenever they aren't on national TV, when they're just playing on the Grind City Memphis channel. But when they're on the national spotlight, he has been in foul trouble and looking terrible. So these narrative building games have gone the exact opposite direction of Jaron. He's also historically a little bit injury prone. Last season, obviously very healthy. But the two years in a row, he's come into the season with injuries. He's dealt with injuries sporadically throughout his career. My question to you, Brew, I think it's pretty clear that Triple J is the clear candidate right now. Should I start to hedge off this? Would you start to build a portfolio? Or would you take just having this great uh, closing line value on this ticket, having it at 10 to 1 and now being minus 200, would you simply just let that ride? No, I would be hedging because that injury risk is real. Um, I mean, this guy's missed a lot of time. And in terms of the national view, I do think that the the Grizzlies are a high enough profile team. And there's been a, just an eye-popping number of, of things that writers eat up, steals and blocks. Um, and I do think, on and just purely eye test, if I was to pick today, I would go him. Because what he's doing out there is so special. I mean, you see it just kind of from time to time. There's one player, two players per year that are at his height with his mobility, with his long arms that sort of change the ball game. It was kind of like peak Rudy Gobert a few years back. And it just you, you just instantly go, wow, that's an unstoppable force. And he's getting into that territory, if not already there. And not a lot of players on this list are, are there. You know, Bam has a pretty good um, number as far as, uh, you know, likelihood of winning. I don't personally subscribe to Bam being the elite defender that, you know, a lot of people do. Um, but he has that buzz. I mean, he's had some high-profile moments, that block in the bubble against the Celtics. I believe it was Jason Tatum. I mean, it was just one of those, wow, look at that guy go moments. Um, behind him, I, I actually think Mikhail Bridges would be where I would go. I think that he was sort of snubbed, you know, last year. And it's kind of funny to see the Marcus Smart odds at 25,000 on Bavada right now. Um, Mikhail Bridges, I think, has enough goodwill with the writers. And, and, and especially, like, he's played every game. I think, actually, he might uh, did he miss a game recently? I don't think he missed it because of the knee thing. But he's, he's just a grinder. Everybody knows him for his defense. And I think they want to give him an award is, is just my sense there. I don't think it'll be Nick Claxton. Thank you for playing every game the last three years. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> – But no one else is playing. You show up every night. 
Yeah, there there is something to that. And also, like, I think a lot of these things, especially like all-star voting, it's like, okay, we didn't get you last year, so we're going to get you the following year, even though the, the, the previous year was better than the, the year that they, they put somebody in. So there's a lagging indicator with this stuff. So, I mean, his number on Bavada is plus 15,000. I love that. I, I mean, I, I, I not just love it, but I think that he has a legit shot of even, like, beating Jaron Jackson if the rest of them, if they both play the rest of the season. Right. Um, it, you, you might need to have, see a corresponding Phoenix run in the record, you know, in the standings to make that a true statement. I think we get, we know that Memphis will be there at the end near the top of the standings, but everything in Phoenix is sort of muted right now. Maybe that's why the number is what it is, but yeah, no, I would go there. And I don't know. I feel like maybe Joel Embiid could kind of silly. There you, you know, go. Sil- you stole, sillily you stole the one out award. of my mouth. If we're not going to give Joel an MVP, can we finally give him a DPOI situation? Is yep. it one of these like, hey, we're sorry we didn't give you the award, so we're going to do it. The fo-. It's like Monty Williams when Tibbs won Coach of the Year two years ago, and then <laughs> last year Monty won. So <laughs> it's one of those makeup awards. It's kind of why maybe Taylor Jenkins wins Coach of the Year this year. It's kind of a we're just one yeah, year behind yeah. who we actually should give it out to. Um, hey, one more Joel is someone Jones. that I have my eye on. If, if I was going to start hedging off this Jaron ticket, I would be looking at Joel and I'd be looking at Nick Claxton. I think um, that the high block rate is something that you consistently see in the awards like previous winners, the Gobert's, the, the, like you mentioned, Draymond, when he won it a few times, his block and steal rate was emphatically high. So those would be the two directions that I'm looking. I don't really see... I think Brooke Lopez and Giannis start to work against each other. I think OG Ananobi being on the trade block, not going to bode too well for him. I think Jared Allen and Evan Mobley work against each other. I think Robert Williams and Marcus Smart. I think we're all done with Marcus Smart being a DPOI candidate. Like he just stole mm-hmm. one from because he wore a designed robe that said DPOI. Again, we just see how narrative building some of these awards are, and you can actually campaign for them like you're running for office in D.C. Um, I would be looking towards Claxton. I would definitely be looking towards Embiid. If you didn't have any money in this market already, if you were a blank better, would you even touch Jaron at minus 200? Do you think it provides any value or just avoid that altogether? Can I give you two really cool Jaron defensive stats that are very interesting? Oh, sure. When Jaron was injured in the first part of the season and first came back, the Grizzlies were dead last in defensive rating. They are now first with his presence. And this is the coolest one. 11% 11% of shots that are two-pointers when Jaron is on the court are blocked. He blocks more than one out of every 10 two-point attempt when he's out there. That matches like, up. I'm not even surprised. High. Like that, for, for context, that hasn't been done in 50 years. He's and, and when you go back and look at some of his old numbers, you know, back from uh, college and in his first few years, it was like sitting there waiting to pop, and it just never got the opportunity to pop. And here we are seeing it. And he's getting referee respect. Yeah, I mean, I look. There's value there. Let's just be blunt. I think you could not put a lot on it, but you know, I think you could put a decent sum. Feel decent at the end of the day that you have a very good chance, better than the odds would suggest, of of cashing that ticket. Um, and then Mike, but I would, I would, I, I would pair it with Mikhail Bridges. I really feel strongly yep. that, especially as the corresponding bump in the wins goes up. That man, if they have, if they overtake the Kings in the Pacific, if they get up into the like four seed or something, and, and, yeah, and everybody's sure. really super, if they're super excited about the Suns, I would almost call it a lock that he okay. would get it. Yeah, but you know, Jaron Jackson is Jaron Jackson, so I would pair the two. Let's hope his feet, ankles, knees, everything stays upright and mobile for the rest of the season. If he stays healthy, I do think this is his award to lose for sure. Let's talk about the. Most improved player discussion. Now, Brew, I never, ever bet most improved player. If you look at MVP odds, there's realistically 10 guys that could win it. When you look at six man of the year, there's, sure, 30 of them because there's 36 men, but there's really four, five, six guys that we really know. When you look at defensive player of the year, we're looking at high block rate, bigs, rim protectors, those types of things. When you look at most improved there's literally 100 candidates. You could go into the season saying there's like two or three guys on every team that could win this award. You don't know who's going to pop off. You don't know who's going to be the Desmond Bain, the Jordan Poole, the Maxi, the, like create a lot of noise. However, we have now reached the halfway point in the season. We have a really good idea 
that this award this year is between marketing and SGA. If you were a voter or if you were a better right now, who would you pick between those two? I think the market's reflected. I'd be picking marketing because I think they kind of crowned him already. But but then they get into this kind of ah, a crap discussion, to be honest, because everybody's using different definitions and then everybody's kind of talking past each other about what everything means. Can a good, really good player hit another gear and how much was that improvement? If you were a top 30 player and you became a top five player, what does that mean? Or is it the, a lot of times they give it to the guy that just got more minutes somewhere, you know, and not, they didn't improve at all. He just got more minutes. Um, I think with Markinen, it was so jarring because of uh, like appearing to be a throw in in the trade. But the, the one th- thing that was interesting about that is we've seen high end Laurie Markinen in Chicago. So, it's not really new what he's doing. He's just healthy and in a good spot, and they've fashioned the offense around him. And then you get Shy Gildas Alexander, who's doing things we haven't really seen. You know, he's, I don't know what his points per game is right now, but it's over 30. It's, yeah, it's, it's still over 30, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. And they've turned the entire team over to him, and they're winning, you know, within reason. But I, I don't know that people are ready to give it to Shy Gildas Alexander on some very odd criteria. Like I think he's in Oklahoma that's working against him. They, they don't like they, they're thinking player on bad team with good stats, I think is kind of where this was. And when Utah came out winning early in the season and they were in the top four in the West, they, they all just sort of coalesced writers. That is that would likely voters for most improved player coalesced around Lori and just called him the probable winner. And I think that that has put him in a, you know, talking about campaigns for DC, just the framing of it all has put him as a favorite. I, I wouldn't say he's more improved than Shy Gildas Alexander. I think Shy Gildas Alexander has taken his game to the next level to become somewhat unstoppable in certain half court sets and in certain, you know, motions. He's really got a lot of length and he's just drawing fouls like crazy and, you know, really just has the, the whole team in the palm of his hands because he's the you know undisputed leader of the team so he's going to probably continue to to you know wow people and and shock and awe and all that good stuff and then marking as long as he stays healthy which is a huge question mark for him for both guys really um he's probably going to keep doing what he's doing uh the trade deadline should be an interesting wrinkle because they'll get get rid of a few vets and one of the things i've noticed about utah lately in the last 10 games or so is that they're playing terrible basketball so maybe he slides maybe shy you know gains some ground ground on him but i would if i had to bet this market i would bet laurie because i think voters minds are already made up and i don't really want to play the what if game of what if utah gets really bad and then laurie doesn't really want to you know push through the season because maybe they want to go further down in the standings or, or maybe his teammates get bad and he his game gets less effect i don't want to play the what if game there i want to play the the, the the media's already decided the winner of this award and then you got all these other interesting names you could take a portfolio approach um a lot of them are just short of the threshold though of making it worth it. They're very interesting though. Like um, Shingun, Shingun, I can't say his name and everybody's on me for it. Um, He could easily become the apple of everybody's eye. If Houston lets him go out there and rack up triple double like numbers without playing a lick of defense, you know, that could, he's a trendy guy right now. There's a lot of, a lot of backing of him in the marketplace. You know, Zach Lowe was talking up his defense the other day. So people are like, Hey, he might be the next best thing. And you see a guy like Sabonis out there putting up these huge numbers and they're like, yeah, he's mini Sabonis. So there's some momentum there for him. Maxi, you know, he could theoretically possibly be on that list of, of possible improvers. Bain always gets tagged with, you know, the guy that improved a lot, but I honestly don't think he's playing any different than last season. So I don't personally subscribe to the improvement thing. I thought we saw this coming and, you know, we ranked him accordingly. Bull Bull, previously, if he had continued playing 25 plus minutes per game, I think he, he, I think he would almost become the favorite if he gets cut loose for that many minutes because it's such a wow factor of just watching a player of his size doing the things that he's doing. Him. I love it. It's the it's the most fun thing in the world. And it's so much fun. I I couldn't believe, you couldn't have told me this year that I'd love watching Magic games, and I love watching Magic games for that reason, and um, you know a number of their other players. But 
if somehow the trade deadline shakes out in Bull Bull's favor and, and he either gets traded somewhere or he, you know, gets, you know, like Mo Bamba gets traded and then all of a sudden like Wendell Carter Jr. gets hurt because he's always hurt and Bull Bull is out there for 30 minutes a game. Like, I think there's a lot of people around the league that would – coaches. You know, Michael Malone would be out there leading the cheerleading charge. And he he could overtake them as a favorite. So I'd probably – if I'm portfolioing this thing, I might just do like – Lori and Shy and Bull, you know, as, as a combo there, maybe sprinkle um, Shingun and and Maxi, you know, but then it becomes very numbers driven. I don't know if anybody's got the time for that or if there's value in there, but that's kind of the cluster that I would start looking at. So going back to that media poll that I mentioned a few weeks, uh, when I talked about the Westbrook thing that happened recently, they had Lori as the clear favorite, and the books have taken a ton of money on Lori marketing, which is why we're seeing the odds, you know, minus 145 a few days ago, minus 125 now. I took SGA just a few days ago, and my hope was I see Utah falling down the standings, and I saw the all-star starters were about to be announced, and I really mm. thought SGA was going to get one of those starter positions over Curry because of the injuries and stuff like that. Curry ended up getting it. Zion ended up getting both both of them getting starters nods, um, which took away, I think, Sabonis's spot and SGA's spot from the starters role in the All-Star game. And I thought that was going to be a huge narrative builder for SGA. So I got in a few days ago hoping that SGA was the Western All-Star starting guard. Um, he's obviously not, so they're both just going to be reserves on the All-Star team, so less of a boost to him. I ultimately think it's it's a two-man race here. I wouldn't personally build a portfolio with anyone else because of how narrative-based these awards have been so far. And I think if you're hoping that it's marketing, you jump in now, and then if you're hoping that it's SGA, you even wait a little bit because you might get better odds as it goes along. Um, marketing being down to minus 125 is definitely interesting. I think you you mentioned this. You're playing that hopeful game that the, the Jazz continue to slide and that they make trades and they get worse. And historically, when you have the most improved player, you have someone on a relatively you know good and emerging team. This year, that, that candidate doesn't really exist. Like, again, Laurie and SGA, they're 10th and 11th in the West. Brunson is is the next highest candidate and Halliburton after that, like almost none of these teams are in the playoffs or, or even like relatively good and emerging teams. So I'd be looking at SGA. I'd be looking at marketing only. You could take them both on FanDuel right now and just split the profit, which of course there's no reason to do that because then you're just opening up exposure. If happens to stance that someone else wins. Um, I think this is going to be a very interesting award to watch for the rest of the year. I, came into this season thinking this might be the year they changed the award. Like, we've had Paul George win the award. We've had Giannis win the award. Last year, Ja won the award. It became one of those things where they were awarding the person who went from star to superstar. And it's like, what actually is – you were talking about this just a few minutes ago. What actually is the most important, most impressive jump in the NBA? Is it going from bench player to role player? Is it going from role player to starter? Is it going from starter to star or star to superstar? So there's so many different levels of improvement. It's like, hey, did anyone make two or three jumps or are we just going with the star to superstar? And I think in that case, it would be SGA this year. So that's why I like SGA. I think there's a little bit of historical precedent. And I think OKC, at the end of the season, will be ahead of the Utah Jazz. So that's kind of what I'm banking on and taking the plus money as value right now. One last thing on that before we switch gears. Yeah. The, the Bull Bull thing is interesting because if you're talking about like pure improvement, and maybe Sing- Shingun falls into this category as well, but like Bull Bull especially, like right. the skills improvement is just leaps and bounds where it was um, – and speaking more on the details of playing the game of basketball, some of the skills have always been there, but like Michael Malone went on a rant specific and he's great about this, by the way, he, he, he's just a great promoter of his players. And he's now kind of got the stature around the league where a lot of people will start parroting what he says, but he went on a rant specific to, you know, bull bull. You know, we talk about most improved player. Like it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And by the way, Bull Bull is the most improved player in the NBA. So he kind of addressed that specific issue that we're talking about here. I really like that number. And um, if I was just kind of betting for fun and I wanted to have a potential at a big payout, I'd definitely be looking at that. Yeah, on FanDuel, it's 220 to one. 
So certainly yeah. sprinkle a little bowl bowl action because that's incredibly juicy. <laughs> um, let's talk about the last topic I wanted to cover, Brew, which is futures on teams. So to make the playoffs, conference, divisional winners, NBA finals, let's just stick with the NBA finals as the template. Obviously, if we're picking out one of these teams that we like in the NBA finals and they're lower on the board, then we probably like them conference division winners. We definitely like them in there to make the playoffs odd. So this is kind of a, let's talk about NBA finals, but the listeners can extrapolate this to say, okay, if we like this team, we like them in, in more than just one way. If you're looking at the NBA finals uh, odds, is there any team, is there any long shot team or is there any tight favorite that you think we should be investing some money in? Yeah, you know, and I'm just pulling up Bovada right now because that's just the screen I like to read the best. Um, the two that I've been sort of talking about all year long are Memphis and New Orleans. Um, both have the punching power to win in the finals. Uh, there's going to be questions about do they need the experience to get there and lose, and, you know, that seems to be a pattern in the NBA. But they are so talented, both teams. You know, when I, when I go, all right, would I rather have them or the Celtics? It's like, man, I think it's them. You know, I think it's Memphis. I think it's New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans, especially, and I see they've slid down to plus 2,000 here on Bavada. Doesn't make much sense to me because not much has really overall changed unless they know something we don't. Um, the the high-end gear that New Orleans has, I mean, you can just go down the roster, go player by player and talk like Zion, uncoverable. You know, do you need a big bulky big to match up against a big bulky big like, say, Nikola Jokic? Well, you got Jonas Valanciunas. Well, let's talk about a potential top five player in the NBA, which is Brandon Ingram when he's healthy. Maybe top 10, definitely top 15. Proved it in the fi- or proved it in the playoffs last year. Go down the roster to Herb Jones. Herb Jones, to me, is so good, just flat out so good. You, and, and we can talk about not having much offense, but it's not like he's bad per se, on that end. So he contributes where he needs to contribute there on a team that doesn't need his production there. But defensively, I don't know that there's a better player in the league. He might be better than Mikhail Bridges. He might be better than Jaron Jackson. He's been hurt all year, and I did kind of mumble his name earlier for DPOY. He's there. You know, Trey uh, Murphy has played extremely well in sort of a facsimile of of what Herb Jones does for that team. And, and, and some people were even calling for him to sort of leapfrog Herb Jones. And Herb Jones keeps coming back and saying, no, this is my spot. <laughs> we're going to build around me and not you. C.J. McCollum, you know, the elder statesman and, and his performance in the playoffs. Jose Alvarado giving it to Chris Paul and, and kind of outclassing him, you know, at times. So you go up and down this roster and it's like, damn, they're just good. Flat out good. And they're, you know, what, the 10th you know, most likely team to win according to the odds. So I like them. Memphis has a lot going for them. And I really do think that Jaron Jackson is an elite NBA player, you know, on par with like a John Morant and, and Desmond Bain, you know, we, we, in the fantasy space, we just were cleaning up and then he got hurt and it just sucked and blah, blah, blah. But he is that good. Their depth is extremely good. They've got a little bark to them. Um, so I really like those teams. And then Phoenix at 2000, I really like Phoenix at 2000 just because, this is a team that theoretically, you know, based on what we saw prior to their meltdown last year, you thought, hey, these guys really don't have a lot of holes and they should be competing at the top of this thing. And it's the same squad, more or less. I didn't think Jay Crowder played well for them last year in the playoffs. He's obviously gone. So I don't look at that as a huge loss, actually. Um, but they're a little thin. And, and obviously we've talked about their problems. So I like those three teams. I like all of them. Let me I'll expand on a few of them real quick. I like Memphis and I like New Orleans for, for two key reasons. And I, I guess you could throw Phoenix in here too. I think these are all very likely teams to make a win-down move at the deadline in a few weeks. I think the Grizzlies are looking to cash in for one more wing player, maybe a Caruso, maybe a uh, Beasley type of player, maybe a Bogdanovich type of player, someone else besides Bain who can knock down shots when Ja is driving and kicking. They really need that, so they're not reliant on the Santi Aldamas mm. and the you know, Dylan Brooks, who I always say mm. about Dylan Brooks, mm. either shoot less or make more, Dylan. Just choose one. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then the Pelicans, too. I think both of these teams, 
can play completely various styles of basketball. You were saying they could go big with Joe Val and Zion. They could also throw Larry Nance at the center and play small, mm. versatile defense. So they could they have lockdown defenders across the board. They have Alvarado if you wanted to play a small guard for defensive purposes. You could then throw Devontae Graham in there if you need a scoring burst and you need some shooting. So it's like they have so many options that I do really think in a playoff situation where the game changes – Pelicans can meet you wherever you want to play. And then they have CJ. They have Zion. They have Brandon Ingram. They have three top isolation scoring creators. Dyson Daniels and uh, Jackson Hayes. Oh, dude, I love Dyson Daniels. He's amazing. And I know he just hurt himself really bad, but who cares? He's not going to, you know, he'll heal up and be ready for the playoffs. So if I'm jumping in this futures market on a team, my best choice is Pelicans. I gave out Pelicans 40 to 1 earlier in the year, so I do already have some exposure there. At 18 to 1, I really do still think it's worth it. Memphis at 10 to 1, I really still think that's worth it because they're making a trade. When I'm looking at these odds, Brew, there's two other teams that stick out to me like a sore thumb. And both of them are on the Eastern Conference side, so we could build a little portfolio with all of these. So one of them is the Brooklyn Nets. And at plus 800, I don't think it carries good value, so I actually don't recommend betting it. But I really think this team is super dangerous. And I think what they've shown without Durant in the last few weeks just shows how good of a playoff team they're going to be and how much of a tough out they're going to be. If I had the Nets matching up against the Bucks or the 76ers, I think the Nets are winning that series. Against the Celtics, we will see. So I think the Nets are probably the second favorite in the East in my eyes. Uh, on the odds, they're the third. So maybe there's value. I'm not going to bet into it. The other one that I see is the Miami Heat. So the Miami Heat, 36 to 1, plus 3,600 on FanDuel. They are a minus 850 to make the playoffs. They have one of the longest playoff odds on the board because they're in a weak division. They're leading their division pretty clearly. And so as long as they win their division, they are going to lock into a playoff spot. So I really like the Heat at 36 to 1 because they turn it up in the playoffs. They're very much going to reach the playoffs. And then you have massively long odds to then potentially even work off of if you want to start hedging it in the second or third round you'll be able to guarantee yourself a profit. So right now, the only bets that I'm willing to make are Pelicans, Grizzlies, and Miami Heat. But I'm also eyeing the Brooklyn Nets as a team that is very, very dangerous. I'm, I, we have to see what happens with Ben Simmons, if he could actually you know, drive the basketball a little bit more. He's, I think he has three drives a game. Like He mm. needs to be taking the ball to the rack like seven times. Do I think it's going to happen? No, probably not. But I do think the combination of Kyrie – uh, Durant, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, like this potentially might be the best shooting team of all time. You like throw to see in Joe the Watanabe's, the Joe Harris, the the Royce O'Neals, like literally everyone on this team can make a shot. I guess they would be a little even that much better when they had Harden, but then they didn't have Seth Curry, so give or take. But like this Nets team is one of the best shooting teams I have ever seen assembled in my life. The only one that I would compare it to is the Durant, Curry, Thompson, Warriors, which I think they were just front-loaded with amazing shooters, like the three best ever. But this team is incredibly deep and just filled with them. So I love the Nets to be incredibly dangerous in playoff series this year. Nobody wants to play them, that's for no. sure. I mean, nope. it's it's and now they're finally the... well coached with with Vaughn on the defensive side. Like they didn't need an offensive mind in Nash. They needed someone with def- defense and accountability, and they got that perfectly in Vaughn. Yeah, and I didn't think Nash was commanding respect in that locker room anyway kind of from the beginning it's it's that's the toughest bunch in the nba maybe you know especially when harden was there to get those guys to to fall in line the joe harris is an interesting one for me because i was a huge joe harris guy and he really the injury and everything surrounding it and some key misses in the the playoffs like it felt like he might have just had the little man in his head and he might just be done for that's one of a handful of pieces, and so he's not super critical there. Seth Curry's got to stay healthy. You, you, they're going to depth. I think is going to be the issue for them, and it obviously in the playoffs isn't as important as it is in the regular season. Uh, defense is what it is. You know, sometimes Kyrie steps up and hits a gear that he doesn't show you all year. That's why I think they're super dangerous. Aside from the offensive, you know, the obviousness there, they would lose against the Celtics. I think. Yeah, you're 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 right on there. Um, I wonder about the Bucks. The Bucks. 
I think the Nets this. would handle the Bucks pretty easily because I, I don't think the Bucks can match up offensively with some of these teams. I'd be really concerned if I was a Bucks fan of, about them going against the 76ers or the Nets. I would feel really good about the Bucks going against the Celtics. So it's all about these matchup spots, which we will certainly get into as the playoffs approach in a, in a few months, talking about these spots and where to bet. But I think underratedly, it's not just about talent in the NBA. It is so much about matchups and what does my team do well and what does your team do well? Okay, we are going to take that away from you and we are going to exploit this weakness. So much of that comes through in the NBA playoffs. You don't see it on a night-to-night where teams roll out generally the same stuff, the same sets, the same motions, except if you're the Toronto Raptors. Nick Nurse is doing something different every game. But in the playoffs, you see a lot of specific adjustments to matchups and teams. And I'm looking at this thinking, Celtics against Nets, I like the Celtics. Nets against Bucks, I like the Nets. Bucks against Celtics, I like the Bucks. So I'm all over the place. You, you got a Charlie map going on over there. I, I just and it, what's what's great about that is it contrasts with the way they approached the last few weeks of the season. So many old school coaches and players really just don't ever want to lose. Like they they throw it all out the window and they say we'll just finish wherever we're going to finish. And yep. you're like, no, like you don't want to do that. Bench everybody, lose these next three games, and get the matchup you want. Right. And, it, even that's a little dicey because you just don't know how everybody else is going to do. But, I mean, sometimes it is pretty clear cut and, and you'll see these old school coaches like, nope, we're just going to go win games and we're going to we're going to play that team nobody wants us to play. And we'll, you know, see how that all shakes out. Your heat point was really interesting as well, being able to build off of that, you know, in the, in the early rounds. Because, again, they're probably not winning at all. Um, no, but like 36 to one, once, if that team reaches the second round, like I'll never take a bet brew. It's like, I'll never take a 36 to one planning to hedge it in the first round, because at that point you might as well just bet X team to make the playoffs and take the return, you know, four weeks in advance, be able to reposition that money. Um, but if I was going to say maybe by second round or third round, depending on the matchup, depending on who's healthy, you could potentially let it ride. Like if they end up facing Boston and Tatum gets hurt in the first round, then you're not touching that, right? You're letting it ride. So I think that 36 to one, just at this point in time is like, let me snatch that while it's there. You're a dangerous man. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, you're a dangerous man. And Vegas should definitely not let you bet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully, I'm hoping it just increases legality all over the place. My main concern, Brew, as we wrap this up, my biggest concern in the betting sp- space is that the whole market in itself starts to position to be more, you know, uh, attractive to the squares and away from the sharps. I think in the next five to ten years, you will see the standard odds change from minus 110 to minus 115. Mm. And at that point, see you later. I'm out. Because at that point, yeah. you're just – you're just your your win percentage has to be that much higher. Your margins are that much smaller. Your stress level goes that much higher up because again, you have to be that much closer with your picks and your lines. So while we're still at minus one ten, I think I'm just going to be beating the brakes off these sports books. But when they go to minus one fifteen, I'm going to shake their hand and say it's been nice knowing you. Then what are you going to do? I don't know. You haven't we'll thought of that one it. yet, have you? We'll talk about it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bro, exactly. Thank you so much for coming on to the pod. I appreciate it. We're talking NBA futures, and hopefully we'll have you back. I hope so, too. Thank you, sir.